Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? Uh, going okay. I, I guess you enjoyed the game Monday night. Uh, I know you were rooting for Tony Bennett. I was, and, I was. And he made it. And and I'm sorry, Greg Allison, wow. He got didn't bounced. He, didn't even make it to the finals. Yeah, wow, rough Saturday night for Greg Allison. He was the uh, SBTS Madness uh, books. Both of his lost on Saturday night, and we wound up with the um, the Covenant in or Kingdom through Covenant. Is that right? And yes. against uh, that was a Virginia book, and then the Storm Tossed Family uh, was the Texas Tech book in SBTS Madness, and Wellum and Gentry pulled it out there, in they, overtime. They did. They did. Uh, wasn't wasn't sure that was going to happen. Came down to the wire. What a crazy tournament this has been! So many games, so many games yeah, down to the wire. One of the better tournaments we've had because there were so many close games, but we didn't have like the classic underdog buzzer beater type thing. I guess Duke getting knocked off like they did was a little bit like that. But at the same time, there wasn't the the fourteen seed hitting the last second three as time expired to beat you know the three seed or somebody like that. Right, but it was a nice story to have Virginia get knocked out last year by a 16 seed in the first round and then come back and win the whole thing. Right. And then come back and win the whole thing. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Redemption. Yes. So I enjoyed, watched the whole thing. That was a very long day because... Because you had trustee meeting this week. Right. And Monday is the longest day of our trustee meeting just because we also have our Southeastern Society on campus. So there are all kinds of events. It's nonstop. I don't even make it to my office. I start at a breakfast and I'm in one meeting after the next all the way to the end of the dinner. And I usually come home and crash after the dinner, but we had a national championship game. So I had to stay up. So that that was a very long day. Yeah. And you you didn't have the entire Southeastern Society there on campus either. Right. You weren't there. Yes, I wasn't. Which... That's right. One of these days. All right. But, One day. Uh, you had trustee meeting. We have another couple of trustee meetings to cover, but we don't have a trustee meeting yet. I think this coming week, we have a couple of more trustee meetings. That would be at Southern Seminary and New Orleans Seminary. And our good friends at Southern Seminary sponsor the podcast just like each and every week. They're located in Louisville, Kentucky. The Southern Baptist Theological Seminary is committed to training future pastors, missionaries, and gospel leaders. You can learn more about undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral degree programs by visiting sbts.edu. A lot of things going on at our seminaries. We're going to jump into some seminary news this week. Amy, the big news out of Fort Worth this week, the stained glass is gone from McGorman Chapel. This was something that popped up. We saw that on social media over the weekend, uh, and then the Alabama Baptist covered it this week. The stained glass windows that had depicted leaders who figured prominently in the conservative resurgence movement of the SBC, they've been removed and just replaced by just some basic glass windows. Uh, so it, se- it seems like it was a very uh, simple process just in terms of the removal itself. There's a quote in the Alabama Baptist paper from K. 
Kevin Eckert, the chairman of Southwestern's Board of Trustees, from a letter that was sent to ministry partners. It just said, after much prayerful consideration and discussion, we have concluded that it is in the best interest of the institution to remove and relocate the stained glass windows installed in our J.W. McGorman Chapel and Performing Arts Center. Expenses to remove the windows are minimal and will be covered by the seminary. The seminary will safely store the windows until we have a chance to discuss with you the next steps. So so that was the big news in Fort Worth over the weekend before their meeting started. And they also had that meeting that you mentioned. And at that meeting, they, they talked a lot about recalibrating, but there was also an appointment to vice president. Colby Adams was named the vice president of strategic initiatives at the seminary, as well as the chief of staff in the president's office. He's going to oversee communications, campus technology, and other administrative priorities but we did mention the recalibration. They recalibrated the seminary in order to return the institution to its core priorities. Chief among them was residential theological education. And Dr. Greenway is quoted as saying, it is the experience that happens here in the classroom and on this campus, theological education in the context of a vibrant, worshiping, learning, living together community. That is of first importance. So that's the recalibration going on. They also passed a budget of $32.6 million and uh, made a few faculty adjustments. Yes. I, I want to go back to something you announced at the beginning, though, or you, okay. you called it. Uh, you mentioned Colby Adams. Yes. And we we had already announced that through our social media accounts. That's right. And I just wanted on to Instagram. ask, yes, on Instagram, and uh, just wanted to to discuss that for a minute, get any clarifications that need to be made uh, about our post, Jonathan. Everything seems good. It, Everything's yes. spelled correctly. It's all online. Yeah. <laughs> if you go now, it is, <laughs> everything is spelled correctly now. Uh, yes. But if if anyone saw it earlier, there was a little. That first draft that you gave me. Supposed to uh, no, I do not. I I don't even know how to make a graphic like that. Uh, so I just want to make it really clear. I do know how to spell the word congratulations. So and I. now. <laughs> all right. So for all the folks who saw that, I just felt like you mentioned Colby. We needed to clear that up. Yeah. So yeah. We but we are on Instagram. So that's something. We added that this week. We've been posting images every day this week, kind of starting to get into the Instagram world. That's something I've been meaning to do, just never have gotten around to it, but I did. So, all right, now, Amy, to the faculty stuff after you've embarrassed me in front of our fans. I'm very sorry. You can feel free to edit this out if you like. That's you know, okay. I probably deserve fair. it after the, the yeah. age jokes I make. Thank you very much. Randy Stenson, uh, who's the provost and vice president for academic administration, was elected professor of theology and ministry in the School of Theology. Uh, Patricia Ennis was given the title Distinguished Professor Emeritus of Family and Consumer Sciences as well. And then there were a few other academic uh, things that had to do with naming nomenclature. Um, Jack Terry School of Church and Family Ministries renamed the Jack D. Terry Jr. School of Educational Ministries. Uh, School of Church Music renamed School of Church Music and Worship. Some other nomenclature on administrative titles and, and job descriptions, things like that. So uh, just some nuts and bolts issues there as well. So it sounds like they had a really great meeting. Yes, they did, as well as Midwestern Seminary at their trustee meeting this past week. Uh, they met and adopted the Nashville Statement, along with passing a new budget of $25.4 million 
at the school. It's just amazing. Uh, they had 1,107 students in 2010 and 11. Now this year, they have approximately 3,800 students enrolled. Just a remarkable growth up there at Midwestern. And they had some faculty elections as well, Amy. Yes. So trustees elected Todd Chipman as assistant professor of biblical studies. They also reelected to three-year terms Ben Aubrey as professor of preaching and Blake Hearson as associate professor of Old Testament and Hebrew. And? They also promoted Radu... (laughs) I've been waiting for you to get to that name. Radu Jorgita, not sure if I said that right, but uh, I tried, to Professor of Biblical Studies. I saw that name coming, Amy, and I was waiting for you to get there. You know, this is what I always tell people, but this is typically when I'm uh, encouraging women who are, they don't want to read out loud in the Old Testament because they're afraid they're going to mess up a name. And I just say, just say it with confidence. and everyone, with confidence. Yeah, and everyone around you, if they say it differently, they'll think, well, maybe I'm wrong. However, when I'm reading someone's name, like they're at, it's someone who is here um, to yes. actually correct, I, I'm a little bit more nervous. So, Well, I'm pretty sure Radu is a subscriber and listens weekly. So we apologize right. if, we, if we mess up your name, Radu. Dr. Jorgita, yeah. probably, yeah. would be uh-huh. professor like of biblical studies. So. I'll just go with Radu. So you can't, be, no, no, we got to say doctor. He's a professor uh, of biblical Dr. studies. Dr. Professor, Radu. Professor of biblical studies. Show some respect. I am Dr. Radu. All right. Okay. All right. Speaking of uh, new elections, Doug Sweeney has been named the Beeson Dean down at Sanford. He will replace Timothy George, who was the founding dean of Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham. Sweeney comes to Beeson from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's a, he's a big guy in the church history world, from what I understand. I talked to a couple of friends down at Beeson, and they say that you know he's really well known in that world. That's not the, the area I run in, Amy, so I, I, I just right. kind of trusted what right. they said. But he's he's big on... Jonathan Edwards. That's kind of his his sweet spot. Um, he he actually edited the works of Jonathan Edwards, and uh, was a big time lecturer in church history and historical theology. Yes, very well respected. So congratulations to Dr. Sweeney. Over to Louisiana, Steve Horn. We announced this uh, last Sunday on our Twitter page, and it even had an Instagram post about it. But Steve Horn. The pastor at First Baptist Church, Lafayette, Louisiana, has been nominated as the next Louisiana Convention State Executive. He will replace David Hankins, who is retiring June 30th. The search committee will present him on May the 7th to the LBC Executive Board for a vote. There you go. Now, I I hadn't really spent a lot of time speculating about this, but once he was named, I wasn't completely surprised. He's... Uh, very well known in among Louisiana Baptists, yeah. and I have. It's the heard, name that I heard from the beginning, right? Well, and what I would say is, I wasn't necessarily ear to the ground hearing a lot of names, but but Steve Horn is a name I have heard a lot among Louisiana Baptists. He's he has played a lot of roles. President of uh, the Louisiana Baptist Convention a few years back, member of the executive board, was vice president, president of that. He's just had a lot of involvement in the SBC at multiple levels, at the Louisiana yes. state level and at the SBC. So when I heard that name, I thought, well, that's not surprising. I can see that. Yeah. You would expect that of someone who is elected as the state executive director. Yes. Speaking of executive directors, uh, thoughts and prayers out to the Myers family. Ernie Myers, the first Nevada state exec, passed away this past week 
at 93 years old in Plano, Texas. Yeah, so he was the executive director from 1978 to 1992, so quite a tenure there in Nevada, and uh, we definitely are praying for the folks there. Yes, and also was elected the second vice president of the SBC in 1989 at the annual meeting in Las Vegas. There you go. That was his that that was his home or at least home yes, state. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah. All right. So, Amy, you had trustee meeting this week as well. We've got a couple of things from that. We're going to talk about what happened at the meeting and then uh, I'll let you intro the JD Greer clip that we have as well. We have a little audio. We had a little audio last week some people like that, so we're going to bring back some more audio. We'll try to do more of that from now on. Yeah, uh, if that's we cool. have some audio clips that we can pull, we've we got the technology to do it, so why not use it? Especially on uh, weeks like this and last week that maybe a little light on the the news, so we have some time to be able to drop in four or five minutes of audio. So, right. tell us about the uh, trustee meeting and then intro the clip. It really was a great meeting. The of course, there were two major focuses of the time. One was launching the For the Mission campaign, which has has been out there a little bit, but this was the public launch to really talk about some plans uh, that Southeastern has ahead uh, to fund four strategic initiatives in four years with a new dining hall, renovations uh, to a dorm for campus housing, student aid, Southeastern fund, and faculty endowment. So there's a lot of discussion about that. And Amy, what is the one thing that I've said that I wanted to see at Southeastern over the past couple of years? What's the one thing? A, di- a dining hall. That's right. I yes. am so in on For the Mission. Yes. Because of the dining hall. Well, I we're glad that you are. Now, now if you could get a pollen shield. Yeah. That would be uh, oh. that'd be even better. Oh, you I think we could get it, a lot of support for a go. pollen shield. If someone would make the technology for that, uh sign me up. I will donate. But it was <laughs> it was exciting. And now that you just said you're very supportive of For the Mission, I'm sure someone will be calling you next week. Um, I'm sure they will be. Yes. Uh so that was big, but also the the time to just mark 15 years for uh, Dr. Danny Aiken as president of Southeastern Seminary. And that was a really special time. I think special for everyone, just reflecting on his legacy here. And in particular, you know, we celebrated his 10 years. So there was a lot of focus on some of the things that have happened even in the last five years. Uh, so it's just a really, really special night, a lot of neat moments. And I always get, you know, I, it's very emotional for me to be there for times like this and really to sit there for 15 years because I have a very vivid memory of 15 years ago, him coming to Southeastern, but I was on the other side of it where I was having to say goodbye and really sad it was kind of bittersweet as we were, you know, praying for him and excited for Southeastern, but knowing, you know, that, that we were saying goodbye to the Aikens. And at that time, we just didn't know that, that we would come full circle and we would be here. So to sit there and get to see all, his impact here and reflect on it was just really, really meaningful to us. So it was, it was a special night, special for a lot of people. Uh, also handled some things in the trustee meeting, approval of a $31.2 million budget, faculty elections, Walter Strickland as assistant professor of theology and Scott Pace as associate professor of pastoral ministry and preaching, uh, promotion of John Ewart to professor of missions and pastoral leadership, David Allen Black, Senior Professor of New Testament and Greek. Not to be confused with Michael Ian Black. 
That's right? correct. That's correct. Okay. And Steve McKinnon, uh, to Professor of Theology and Patristic Studies. We also had a few curriculum changes, scholarship accounts, things like that. Uh, so it was, it was a great, just a great week. Very, very special. Uh, but the clip, comes from the chapel sermon that we had on Tuesday. Uh, Dr. J.D. Greer, who is president of the SBC, uh, pastor of the Summit Church here in the Raleigh-Durham area, and two-time graduate of Southeastern, he came and preached in chapel on Tuesday. So that was really special. Students, uh, faculty, staff, trustees, and uh, supporters all together. But he gave a phenomenal sermon. It was really great from Colossians uh, 1 and just talking about the call we have to sacrifice so that others can know Christ. And there was a segment in there where he told a story about his time when he served with the IMB in Southeast Asia. And it's about a six and a half, maybe a little longer clip. We pulled that from uh, the sermon and and dropped that in a video online and I have just I've listened to it several times myself because it's just incredibly inspiring and uh, really hits on you know he gave a phrase in that life in the world only comes through death in the church but shares it through this sort of personal uh, story that was really inspiring from his time on the field so uh, we we have that to play here listen let me give you a, a hard and rather unpopular teaching um, by the way these are the kind of statements that build a church Suffering is the appointed means by which God has ordained that he is going to bring salvation into the world. We tend to want it through prosperity and blessing. So we talk about growing churches and increasing platforms. But Jesus told his disciples right before he left, I'm sending you into the world the way that the father sent me. And how did the father send Jesus? He sent him not to grow and thrive. He sent him to suffer and die. When Christ bids a man to follow, he bids him come and die. And he said, just like I brought salvation through suffering, you are going to bring salvation to them through suffering. What I did to bring salvation to you, you're going to go through to carry salvation to them. In fact, if you're taking notes, maybe you would write it down this way. Life in the world only comes through death in the church. Life in the world only comes through death in the church. Here is a question that you will be asked over and over and over again throughout the course of your ministry. Is that a price that you are willing to pay? Is that a price that you are willing to pay? In fact, let me ask you to consider what did it cost you to receive the free gift of salvation? The answer, of course, is nothing at all. Jesus paid it all. The question for followers of Jesus, especially those of us that are called to the ministry, Is are you now willing to do what it takes for people all over the world to know and to hear that message? Because apart from our wounds, he said, apart from our wounds, they will not hear and they will not believe. For some of you, this is going to make become more than just theory. Just theory. I remember uh, when I was in Southeast Asia, it was a Muslim area, and I was invited to um, observe the the, the worship uh, on Eid al-Adha, where they sacrificed um, a cow uh, commemorating when Abraham sacrificed his son, which they believe is Ishmael. And I remember standing there at the front of this gigantic mob as these, these, it was about seven or eight men held this bull down. It was one of the most gruesome things I'd ever seen. I grew up in church. I'd heard about sacrifices. I had never seen one with my with my own eyes. And as they held this bull down, and as that Islamic priest, the imam, took the knife and he began to cut through that neck of that, of that bull, um, I just remember I'd never imagined it would be so much blood. 
I mean, just blood everywhere, just covered me. It covered everybody around me. He sawed about halfway through the neck of that beast as it kicked and it wheezed. And for about 45 seconds, it just laid there and it died. And I remember watching that and just being overwhelmed with this sense of two things, first of all. Number one, this was the picture that was given to Israel of what Jesus would go through when he purchased my salvation. This was the divinely chosen picture. He didn't shield them from this. He put it in for them to observe on a regular basis, something that in 21st century America, we don't really see that much anymore. This was what he was going to pay. And then the second thought was, this is what I've called you to, to bring salvation to these people. I remember standing there just overwhelmed as I'm looking, according to Romans 12, 1, of what the picture of my life was supposed to be. I'm just going to tell you, when I was in seminary dreaming about future ministry, that is not the image that I had in mind. Is that the image you have in mind as you go into ministry? I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice daily like that animal. Is that the image you, you have of that? When I was in Southeast Asia a few, several couple months later, I didn't realize how prescient, how, how God was asking me a question. He was actually going to ask me for my answer later. There was a, a situation where um, some, a local mission team that uh, we partnered with were passing out some Bibles in this language of this people um, that we were serving in. This people had never had a, lang- a copy of the Bible in their language. And so we brought them in. Um, they were passing these Bibles out. It was about 10 minutes from where I lived when a mob of about 2,500 people collapsed on them. Uh, the police arrested them, put them in prison. The mob was demanding they release these people, uh, two of which were Americans and two were local, um, uh, so they could kill them. Um, uh, they uh, burned their cars, both their cars. They torched them, burned them to the ground. Um, I remember um, hearing about this about Again, it was about 10 minutes away. Um, uh, my neighbor, had it not been for my neighbor, who was the mayor of the town, stepping in and telling this mob that they couldn't come for us either. I'm not sure how this story would end, but he, he basically said, listen, I'm going to put you under house arrest until I get this thing resolved. So for about 10 days, about two weeks, we were there under house arrest, couldn't go anywhere. Um, I, I can tell you something. It's one thing to sit in a chapel service, to come forward, to kneel down at an altar and say, I'm ready to give my life for Christ. It's quite another when you think somebody is showing up to take you up on that offer. And I'm telling you, I rethought everything. And I'm, I'm actually not super proud of how I processed all that because I was terrified. I even considered like uh, my, my, my boss, my supervisor said, well, you can't run. He says, I know you just want to leave in the middle of the night, but if you do, they're going to know uh, that you're connected to it. And that's going to connect a lot of more people to this. And he said, you just got to stay there and wait this thing out. And I remember saying, I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I did when I joined the 2 plus 2 program. And God just kept whispering to me, Romans 12, 1 and 2, are you ready to be a sacrifice for me? Um, it was uh, after we were released from our house arrest, it was a couple weeks later, tensions were still kind of high. And um, I was on a bus going to the, the job that, that I worked while I was there. And we passed over this place where these guys had been arrested. Um, and it was still a very, very tense situation. And I just got, again, overwhelmed. I just wanted to get off the bus and, and run. I did not want to be there. And it was, you know, one of those moments where the Holy Spirit just directs my attention to this, this bus driver. I didn't know this bus driver from anybody, but I just fixated on him. And I just remember the Holy Spirit dropping into my heart. Is this guy worth it? You know, if you, if you, if this doesn't end well for you and you lose your life, then you're going to open your eyes in heaven. But this guy has a family probably that you've never met. And God loves him as much as he loves you. And Jesus Christ shed his blood so that that guy and his children and his children's children could come to know me as well. And if I shed my blood so that you could know me, are you willing to shed your blood so that, that he can know me as well? That's what Paul is looking full in the face of and saying, yes, it is worth it. 
Is that not, Paul says, what I owe to the gospel? I mean, think about this, friends. Where would you be had Jesus chosen not to come and die for you? Where would you be? Let me give you an answer to that. You'd be at exactly the same place that what? 2.2 billion people are in the world without you? Because it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if nobody ever heard about it. All right, thanks for making that available to us, Amy. I appreciate the hard work that the the media team over there at Southeastern did, as well as the the great little clip, and we'll, we'll link to this clip maybe, of Dr. Aiken the other day. Yes. Uh, that, was, that was hilarious, by the yeah. way. Yeah. So we had planned, you know, let's pull a couple of good clips uh, from things in the sermon. And then we realized, oh, those are not the only clips we need to pull. We've got something else really great. So there was just this moment where uh, the the mic stand fell over and he just had the most amazing reflexes and reached out and grabbed it with his hand without it would really almost didn't look like he even saw it. And uh, then there was just this little moment after where he said, uh, how do you like that? And kind of laughed and everything. And it was great. So our media services team put that together with dual videos so you could see both camera angles. And we dropped it online. And we thought when we put it on Twitter that people would like it. Uh, but it it kind of went a little bit nuts. So it was neat. Really showed his personality. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it did. It's fun. He's a fun guy. Fun guy to hang around. So uh it it's just it's just so perfect and it it encapsulates who he is there so all right well that's going to do it for the news this week thanks for the update from southeastern and that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in sbc history amy blow our minds all right this time i decided i wanted to go back even further than i usually do so when i like when i do that i have to go away from Baptist Press and get into some state papers. And this is from the archive of the Tennessee paper, the Baptist and Reflector. And it's uh, from 1924, from their April 10th issue. And if you go to it, we'll link to it in the show notes. Now, this is where they actually took the paper and digitized it. They scanned it to the one that was sent out. And it's on page seven. And the headline is, Little Tennessee Girl Gives Savings of Lifetime to the Campaign. So we talk a whole lot about cooperative program. We're updating it uh, every month. And, of course, uh, Dr. Floyd, in his first week, at the executive committee, we've already heard a lot about uh, being involved in the SBC and then just kind of getting behind the mission. And the cooperative program is a huge part of that. Well, 1924 would be the time right before the cooperative program was established. And that came out of a fundraising campaign called the 75 million campaign. Yeah, where they a big were- ad in there. Right, right. So this article, and I'm going to read it because it's very short. It says, Evidencing the spirit of sacrifice that is moving upon Southern Baptists just now in relation to the 75 million campaign, Dr. Lloyd T. Wilson, State Secretary for Tennessee, relates a story of how, after he had spoken in the Baptist church at Sweetwater recently and went home with Pastor Fleming for the night, while he and the pastor were in the latter's study talking over the situation, they saw a little note quietly slipped under the door. When the pastor picked up the missive, he found it to read as follows, and it was a letter 
So it gives the date, March 23rd, 1924. Dear Daddy, I desired at church tonight to give my $20 to the $75 million campaign. I want to give some of my own money. I do not feel like I am giving anything, given what you, giving what you make all the time. May I? Lovingly, your daughter, Mildred Fleming. And then Dr. Wilson explained that she was 10 years old, had been a Christian three years, and the $20 that she, the $20 that she gave to the campaign represented her entire savings, even though she has been a regular contributor to the church out of the family tithe ever since she became a member of the church. But she had $20. It was her life savings, and she gave all of it to the $75 million campaign. And I thought that was just pretty neat. I thought, you know, we could all use a little inspiration. And so uh, there it is from Mildred Fleming back in 1924, and uh, Tennessee Baptists were talking about it this week in SBC History. All right, so while you were talking about that, I did the the obvious thing and thought, well, what does that $20, how much is that worth? Yes. $290.44, basically, in 2019. All right, so think about a 10-year-old. That's a pretty, pretty big chunk of change. Give it yeah. $300? Yeah, yeah, from a 10-year-old. So that's really neat. And uh, a lot of our listeners may know what the $75 million campaign was, but this was actually something that they sort of pulled together to raise $75 million for all of the ministries of uh, Southern Baptists. And so to try to, they had were gathering pledges and things like that. And then even though they fell short of the goal, they actually learned something from the experience of pooling all of their resources uh, to then distribute it out to multiple ministries. And that's kind of how the cooperative program came into play. But in this moment, when they were really calling on Southern Baptists to sacrifice, uh, this 10-year-old, Mildred Fleming, uh, she, she showed up for it. So that should inspire us all today, almost 100 years later. All right, Amy, I want to draw your attention to one more thing. I want you to scroll down to page 15 and something that I'm shocked that was not your, your absolute favorite thing in this. And All it may right, be your favorite see. thing, just not what you used. Right. I just, I got, oh yeah, I remember this. I've, I've seen this before. Special Baptist train. So this is an ad. It wasn't this is really like the this Amy week. Whitfield ad. Yeah. It was a train from Nashville to Atlanta for the Southern Baptist Convention. I would have yes. totally taken the train. I did take, I've taken the train twice to the Southern Baptist Convention. So uh, Baltimore and New Orleans, right? Yes, yes. So I would have been on the special Baptist train. Yes. <laughs> that sounds that sounds so weird. The special Baptist train. There's so many jokes that could be made about that. So all right, well that's uh fascinating and uh no weird ads in this one. Uh, other than no, that. No, but I mean, it's a you know, you, these these old state papers are so interesting because they come from a time where, I mean, for some people, this is one of the only papers they got. So you don't just have church news. You have jokes. You have ads for products. You have, I mean, there's a thing in here about how to remove stains. Um, and so you just, you, it, it was like a full paper with all yeah. kinds of information in it. So very interesting. It also lists the attendance from April 6th at the, each of the churches. And First Baptist Nashville, check this out, they were running 2,450 people. Like their, their attendance that week was 2,449. That's, That's pretty a lot. cool. Yeah. That's a whole lot. Uh, First Chattanooga, there's a line across. I can't read what's 
the there the next couple ones. But we had yeah. a lot of uh, sizable churches. I'm looking for some some around here in uh, the Nashville area, but um, don't really recognize many of these names. Edgefield Baptist Church in Nashville, Belmont oh, yeah. Heights. I know where Bel- I, know, I know where Belmont Heights is. So when we lived in Nashville, and we were part of a, a church plant there. Our church plant met in Edgefield in the basement. Where? Or where in the is fellowship that? hall. It's in East Nashville, just in one is of the neighborhoods. The one, is it the one kind of up on near on th- Ellington where it meets the the loop, Riley Loop? No, that's not no? it. No, it's okay. not that one. Edgefield is kind of, it's not on Gallatin Road, but it's near, it's, it's on a park right there. It's like right next to a park there. It's really beautiful. Okay. It's a gorgeous hmm. church. Yeah. All right. Well. Very cool. Okay. All right. Well, very neat. All right. So that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource is? A new video by Ashley Unziker. Oh, boy. That was inspired by her Old Testament class here at Southeastern. And it just dropped like right before we recorded. And so I saw it and loved it and thought, well, I'm going to share that here. So check that out. All right. Well, that's your resource. My resource is an event that was announced this week that'll be at the Southern Baptist Convention. We've heard uh, talk about this event, and we finally have the details and the registration. This event will sell out soon. So it will, it will. sell out. It'll be sell out. It's Yeah, it's uh, free. It's, it's free. It's a free event. Sexual Abuse and the Southern Baptist Convention is hosted by the ERLC Monday night at 9 p.m. on June the 10th. So right after the pastor's conference, basically, this is at 9 o'clock. And it will feature Russ Moore, J.D. Greer, Beth Moore, and Rachel Den Hollander, and more. This will not be available long. So if you want to go, if you're going to be in Birmingham, you need to sign up now. This will probably be full within the next couple of weeks. I, I don't right. think we'll probably, I don't think we'll get to May and tickets still be available for this. So, uh, you need to check this out. It's going to be at the SBC annual meeting in the convention complex right there in the South Exhibit Hall. Um, so if you're, going to be at the annual meeting sign up for this be there at nine o'clock we'll be there i know i've got my tickets you got your ticket yep so we will be there and i'm guessing about a thousand fifteen hundred other people but you need to get tickets now because like we said this will not last long right Uh, and they are free they are free they are free they're just but you have to sign up and have your ticket so so we've we've got the link in here do check that out. Do sign up and and do attend this because it will be a valuable, valuable conversation, and uh, you'll you'll get to hear. I, I've heard Rachel speak in person. I, we know the other three, so I'm uh, really looking forward to this, and it, it's going to be fantastic. It, it it will be an important conversation, I think. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week on SBC this week, Amy. Holy Week coming up this week. What you got any big Easter plans other than you know? There's a lot going on at church, I'm sure. Yeah, I know my wife is is slammed getting ready for everything too. So yeah, we have uh, Easter production this weekend. Uh, so we do something for the community this weekend, and Mary's involved in that. We'll we'll be supporting her, and uh, she and uh, she and Keith actually have a fun trip coming up next week to go visit the campus at Clemson. Uh, just for fun, just because, you know, they've had like a national championship in the last year and they just want to go hang out. So they're, they're doing that. I'll be around here. We got, uh, spring break for, uh, Drew. And so it'll just be a, a, a special week for the family. All right. Well, that sounds good. 
Uh, folks, we hope you have a great Holy Week as well. We'll be back here with a new episode on Good Friday. So we will have an episode next week. We will see you next week. See you next week. Bye.